This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Today's reading is from 1 John, chapter 1, starting at verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Welcome to Community Covenant Church. My name is Tyler Shaw. I am the pastor of worship here. And uh, if this is, let's say, your first Sunday with us, or you've been gone for a while, um, this is our second week without Pastor Mark, our senior pastor for the last 17 years, um, left. And, uh, and now, so one of the things we had to do over the summer, because we're, we're in the process of getting a transitional pastor, but different ones of us on staff are having to fill in in the meantime. And... Uh, you know, we were having a, a, a staff meeting not too long ago and talking about, well, let's just talk about things that we feel like, you know, we know well, you know, where we're experts on. And then we, we were talking about the things that we need, you know, what we should cover. And somebody said, well, we really, we really need to deal with the issue of sin. And, and every, suddenly everybody's looking at me. <laughs> so you guys recognize that as a joke. But the staff people here, they're like, I don't remember that meeting. I, but anyway. We're talking about sin today, so I know that's really exciting. So before we do, uh, let's just pray and ask God to be with us. I feel compelled to do that this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, as we, as we deal with this topic that uh, touches every one of us, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, guide us and let us hear from your Word. Help me as I speak. We ask in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'm going to actually be looking at the text from 1 John quite a bit today. And we have extras back on the table. And uh, don't hesitate to, to get up and get one. Or if you've, got, uh, uh, if you've got a smartphone or something like that, you might be able to look one up. John, 1 John 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. A couple things about John. This is the Apostle John, perhaps Jesus' closest personal friend. This is one of the, the apostles that walked around with Jesus. He, he gave us the Gospel of John. He gave us three, these three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's also the author of Revelation. And uh, 
So in, in, he's writing uh, in the latter part of the first century. He is perhaps at this time the last person alive who spent real quality time, intimate time with Jesus Christ. And he's living in an age where um, the, the church in Jerusalem, where it was birthed, has been persecuted by Nero and, and Christians have scattered across the Roman Empire. John's probably writing from Ephesus. And so they've undergone persecution from without. And now he's writing because he has some, some concerns. But can you imagine for him as he begins to write and he says, look, I mean, he's like one of the last guys that was there. I was there when it happened. And so he says, I heard, I saw, I touched, I experienced it firsthand. And he's, he's using the, the, the verb forms there. It's like what he's saying is, my life will never be the same. And now, because I've heard him, because I've seen him, because of what I've experienced in being around the person of Jesus Christ, my life and everything I understood about life has been completely altered forever. One of the things, uh, our kids, my, my two kids, uh, are, are getting old enough that uh, we get to go back and rewatch movies that we liked, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And it's, it's fun to watch and have our kids watch them for the first time. And we watched uh, the other night Sneakers, you know, Robert Redford and, you know, pretty good little spy, spy movie. You know, they got, they got cell phones that are like, you know, bricks, you know, and, and the computer looks like, I don't know, something, you know, I don't know. But it's interesting when I think back, because uh, I think it was junior high, this is going to date me here, but I think it was junior high or high school, uh, I remember the first computer class. It wasn't a class, it was a club, and it was three guys that they called nerds. And I remember watching them one day, because I actually wanted to be one of them, you know. But they were loading a computer program, and it was on a cassette tape. Now, it was a program that today, on the cheapest computer you could buy, it would instantly load. But back then what they did is they had to run this tape. It was like in fast forward and, and for, for a couple minutes to load the program. There was no graphic interface. What they looked at was just a, a table with words. It was, a, it was a program where you simulated flying, but it just gave you little numbers. Here's your airspeed. You know, your, your uh, landing gear is down or it's up and your flaps are this and that. And so you could play with those numbers. And the, it, would, it would spit out text saying, well, your plane is now diving and everybody's screaming or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And that was cool. I mean, that was, I mean, that was, that was groundbreaking. And here we are. I mean, the world is changing so fast. We are never going to go back. Things are never going to be the same. This is the kind of perspective that John's writing from. Because of what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've touched, what I've experienced. Everything I thought before is different. And so uh, I, he, he calls uh, Jesus here. He says, this is, what, this is what I'm proclaiming to you, the word of life, his uh, reference to Jesus Christ. I just want to make one quick point here. As, as John uses different titles for Jesus, this title of life, you see... What I recognize in myself is that ultimately when I desire something other than God, it's because I believe at some level that it's going to offer life. 
it's going to give me something that I want or that I think I need or I think I, you know what I mean? And in, in popular culture and maybe even the way that church has been represented, what, what Christianity is, is just following some kind of a moral code that uh, is puritanical, it is uh, legalistic, it is who knows what, you know. It um, doesn't relate to real life. What John is saying by calling Jesus the word of life is that he is the source of life. All that we want out of life, all that we hope for, all that is good in life is sourced in Jesus Christ. And part of what I have to do is reorient my thinking and my heart to be able to see that what he's offering me is life. What my heart really wants not that it's easy or it's always immediately attractive or whatever else. But if you want life rich and full, there's only one place to go. It's Jesus Christ. That will become critical throughout what we're looking at today as well as this whole book. Uh, continuing, verse 2. I, I need to move a little faster. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So three quick things. Now he's calling it the eternal life. It's a source of life in terms of what life is meant to be, but it's the only source for what makes life endure, the way life was intended to be forever. Secondly, that phrase there where it says with the Father, um, it, it actually has behind it a lot more weight than just saying, well, he was, he was there, and now he's here. With the Father has this, this weight of um, communicating that, that Jesus, the Son of God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit enjoyed a quality life from eternity past. There's a fellowship that was, that's, that's there. If you were here a couple, I think it was two weeks ago, Curtis Ivanoff was here, and he talked a lot about that word fellowship. Um, it's kind of a churchy word. But if you think about it in terms of uh, there's the block party style fellowship, which means, hey, if, if you, done, no, Billy, if you bring the chips, I'll bring the pop, okay? We have fellowship there. We're sharing in something, right? And I think maybe even Curtis made the allusion to the Band of Brothers. If you, I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's, it's about uh, World War II, guys who fought alongside each other. And the level of fellowship where they shared the deep things in their life, and they knew, look, I'll risk at a heartbeat. I will risk my life for you. See, that's the, the kind of depth of fellowship when it says that Jesus came from the Father. He was leaving something, uh, uh, coming from a place of deep intimacy with God, and He appeared. I mean, He appeared right here in front of us. Have you ever wished, man, if I could just see God... Jesus did that. That's what John's telling us. He appeared right, for, right in front of us to behold. We walk with Him. We talk with Him. Our lives will never be the same. Verse 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete.
This is an introduction to John's whole letter, but it serves as an introduction to the, the part that we're getting into. And um, I just wanted to ask the question, why is John writing this? Well, as you read through that, the, the letter, what you find is that there's, there's false teachers who are beginning to have influence in the church, and they're teaching certain things. And one of the things that they're starting to teach is, is they're denying the reality of who Jesus was. The fact that he came in the flesh, that he actually lived, that he walked, that he died, that he was risen again, and that he retains his, his humanity, his physical body, as the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So there's teachers that are beginning to deny, and he calls them the Antichrist, that deny anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is the Antichrist. That's one of his phrases right out of it. So he's concerned about that as a person who walked and touched and was there when it happened. The other thing, and this is something that we all struggle with and I want to focus on a little bit, is that it's really easy for us because sin has come into the world and what it does, and it fractures our lives and it fractures our thinking. And so we can begin to divorce who we are, the way that we live, with what we say that we believe. You see, hypocrisy makes its way in. Self-deception has made its way in. And it continues, as we are Christ followers, it continues to wage war against our soul, against our, our and And, and as, that, as we pull that apart, and so you had, you had people teaching, look, I have a higher knowledge. And so that, that doesn't involve, I, I can do these certain behaviors and these acts, and it doesn't matter. Because I've been privy to this new higher knowledge. And what John is saying, no, see, we can't divorce those. And, and praise God that what, what Christianity is, it's not a set of doctrine, right? It's, it's not a political party. It's not a way of living. It's a person. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. One of the things I hope we capture a vision today as we look at this, and I struggle with this. This is something I struggle with. You see, as I go through life, just the everyday routines, um, and they, they can even be spiritual routines. They could be reading my Bible. It could be praying. It could be, uh, you know, I work here at the church, and so, you know, presumably we're doing, you know, spiritual stuff, right? And we, we're doing that, and even doing those kinds of things, but certainly doing things like uh, watching a TV show or... Or, um, you know, going out and playing Frisbee or whatever it is. That what can happen is life, it starts, I start to, it gets fuzzy on me and I don't connect with who I am in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't live a face-to-face kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. That I'm conscious that I'm not just following a, a doctrine. I'm not just following a, uh, a set of beliefs or you know, a category of religion, I'm connecting my life with you. We together are connecting our lives with the person of Jesus Christ. So, so when Jesus' disciples said, hey, um, um, you know, if you just show us the way to the Father, show us what we're supposed to do, or you know, show us what we, we're supposed to believe. If you remember, one of Jesus' disciples uh, in the latter part of the Gospel of John, was asking this. He said, just show us the way, and, and then we'll do it. 
And what's Jesus' response? I. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you see, we so naturally start divorcing how we act, what we believe, what we do from the person of Jesus Christ, and we start following a way, a set of rules, uh, whatever it is, religion, whatever it might be. And John, through this book, he is going to make some sharp contrast. John loves sharp contrast. And, and what he likes to do is say, look, if you hate your brother, if you act like you don't, I mean, if you, then you have no part with God. I mean, he just he's really sharp because we can't disconnect what we believe from how we live. How we live is ultimately a reflection of what we really believe. So we're in this series, Living Faith, and that's really what it's about. Life beyond belief. You know, our world, our culture likes to define Christianity as a, it's just like the sect that has certain doctrines, that believes certain things. Uh, and, you know, when somebody asks you, are you a Christian, I'm almost afraid to answer. I don't even know what they think by that. I like the phrase, I'm, I'm just trying to follow Jesus Christ. You know, I'm just trying to live according to Jesus Christ. Now, as we get into the sin thing, you need to recognize that verse 4, that the reason John's writing this is he wants to produce joy in you and I, in himself as a writer, but he wants us to experience the joy, the fullness, the riches of life that he intended. So we jump into the next section here. Verse 5, and he's going to begin now, John is, with one of his big contrasts or big stark statements, if you will. And he says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. I, I, what, one of the things I find interesting about that is John being a good Jewish person, you would think that this would be something... Sim he would simply understand, he would know, uh, having grown up Jewish. Uh, that the idea that God is light, God is good. And, and these concepts, once again, they can, they, we could say that we believe them and we can give some sort of intellectual cognizant assent, but, but if we're not careful, they won't impact who we are, the way that we live. And what John has just said is that this is something that they heard from Jesus. That somehow Jesus coming revealed something about the holiness of God that he didn't see before, that he didn't know before, and that he's proclaiming to us. And I'll, I'm going to come back to that. So he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him in, 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 in this God who in whom... There is absolutely no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sins. So He's saying, look, if we, if we together are in the light of God, where Jesus is, that something happens there 
where we're exposed. And yet somehow out of that, we find that our sins can be forgiven because of the blood, the costly blood of Jesus Christ. And there's something that happens with us with fellowship. You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm always wondering about in terms of my spiritual development is how are my relationships? How is my fellowship, to use that churchy word? See, I've heard people argue that you can't get any closer to God than you can get to somebody else. You can't expose your heart and your life to God without in some ways exposing it to other people. My hope and my prayer for myself is that I continue to grow and that we together, this is something that it's not just an individual experience, but it's something that we grow in together in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to unpack that a little bit further, but I want to get into this, uh, that God is more holy than we can imagine, if you will. One of the ways that Jesus pointed that out was in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Sermon on the Mount is a, is a passage of Scripture in Matthew 5-7. through 7. And one of the things that Jesus said, that to his listeners, we're, we're familiar with it, but if we really think about it, it's, it's challenging for us too, to say the least. But one of the things he said is, he would say, look, you've heard that murder is wrong, right? It's really easy to look at external kinds of things that we go, oh, that's bad, that's bad. And Jesus looks at the heart and he says, look, you've heard murder is wrong, but I tell you, anyone who hates his brother is guilty of sin. You've heard that, that adultery is wrong, but I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully, you see. Now, for Jesus here, it's just like, oh my goodness. If it wasn't bad enough that we have all these rules and regulations that a lot of the religious teachers were teaching, and now Jesus has taken it to a whole new level. So as we come to this, and we, and, and the thing is, let me, I'm gonna, the thing is, I'm, I'm going to try and get organized here. When we were, when God created humanity, we were created with the design that we would get life from God. In other words, our spirit connected to God's spirit that we look to Him to define who we are. And the essence of sin, we think of sin a lot of times as bad things that you do. The essential nature of sin is alienation, separated from God. So um, if you remember the, the story in the garden, uh, you know, the serpent asks Eve, you know, why, how, come, you know how come God said you can't eat? from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She said, you know, well, God said we would die. He goes, you won't die. He knows that if you eat it, you will be like God. See? You can know good and evil yourself. You don't need God for that. You could, you could be just like God in that. that. The source of goodness can come from you. You don't need to look to God for that. And so, you know, and what happened in that moment is we became very inward focused. You see? This is, this is literally, if you could look inside of our lives, that's it. We've we got to look to ourselves now. You probably have seen this image before, right? And, and Pastor Mark used this image a lot to talk about that there's, like, like an iceberg, there's a part of us that we can see, but most of us is deep 
Most of us, most of who we are is not readily visible. Here's another way to look at it, and this is not authoritative or anything. But if you think of those actions and behaviors as that part that we can see, right? And who we are in our life, in our heart, our emotions and desires, our mind, our reasoning and our thoughts, our body, our physical strength, but not just the part, I've got that intentionally in the part you don't see because there's all kinds of chemical reactions and electrical things happening inside of our body. Even what we see on the outside, it's just a small portion. And our spirit, which was connected with God, and now the Bible says when, when man sinned, then the spirit is dead. It's completely unable to respond to God. What happens when we're born in sin, if you've ever heard that phrase, is before you and I are conscious of it, we have to begin to develop strategies and a means to survive where we are our own God or we have to make our own gods. You see, our emotions, we can't trust God that He just loves us. We have to figure out how we're going to be loved. Our minds, we have to figure out what's important. We have to reason why things are the way that they are. Uh, our body, you know, that there are, uh, I understand that, that the research has demonstrated how we learn from a very young age that <clears throat> when certain circumstances happen, let's say you grow up in a home, uh, let's just say, where there's a lot of yelling. The yelling makes you feel nervous, insecure. And there's, there's reactions that you develop from a time you're very small that has nothing to do with God. See, it's about you and I figuring out how we're going to make it apart from God. That's what sin is. And these things become patterns in our life. They're like patterns that get cemented that we learn from an early age. Wow, if, if I don't want to get uh, yelled at, I just need to avoid confrontation. I mean, that's at a real basic level. But we learn these ways of operating, and we learn these ways of behaving, and we have these autonomic kinds of responses to certain stimuli because our lives are broken off from the source of life, from God. And so even when we try and think about the goodness of God, our minds aren't capable of grasping it because we've defined good on our own terms. Now, what happens um, a, a lot of times that I've noticed, I'm, when, I, when I say this happens, I'm talking about me, but I think I've observed it in other people too. But we're so conditioned to being able to fend for ourselves. And what happens is we become, we become a Christian. We know, okay, I'm, you know, I'm a sinner. This isn't working out. And so we become a Christian. And then we, uh, I like John Ortberg's illustration on this, he says, then, we, then what we're going for is the, the new version of me 2.0. You know what I'm saying? The new and improved. I smell fresher. I'm nicer. Whatever. And what that looks like is the old patterns of how I cope, how I deal, how I deal with, with the inadequacy in my life. 
is now I just I try harder the actions and behaviors up there. I do a little bit better on that. I got to push a little harder now. There seems to me that there's just a lot of natural um, unconscious confusion uh, about our behaviors. Because if you're, if you're like me, I naturally slip into this mode that if I could perform a little better, then, then that inner part is going to somehow get better. If I can read my Bible a little bit more, if I can stop yelling at my wife, if I can, um, you know, go to the workout, the gym three days. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like if we, get, we get this idea in our mind, but here's the thing. It, this is universal. Jesus addressed this issue a lot. Galatians is about this issue. I'm going to read for you a passage out of Matthew real quick. This is Matthew 13. Nope. Matthew 23. Listen to the language here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So I want to make a point about the source of goodness. You know, we say God is good. Um, when we say that, theologically, what we're not saying that, well, God could be this way or that way, but he chooses to be good. It's just merely a characteristic of him. What we're saying is that God is in his nature. Everything he is and does is good. The things that we know of, that we can recognize as noble and good, love, justice, peace, righteousness, all those things emanate from the character and nature of God, what He has made and created. They all have their source in Him. In fact, I think Jesus illustrated this in Luke. You remember there was a rich young man who came to Jesus. And this is an interesting, fascinating interchange to me. Because what, what the man, man said, he ran up to Jesus. Now, I want you to know, he fell on his knees. I mean, this is a guy of sincerity, a guy who's working hard. And I think Jesus sensed something about him. And he said this, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what Jesus' response was? He says, why do you call me good? Nobody is good except the Father in heaven. Now, we don't, you know, if we're good evangelicals who believe, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how could Jesus say he wasn't good? But see, I wonder if what Jesus sensed in him is if he asked, why do you call me good? And the man said, well, you do lots of good things. I mean, you've been, you've been feeding the hungry. You've been, you've been doing good things. 
And what Jesus is saying is that his life is intimately connected with his Father, who is the source of all good things. Yes, Jesus is good. But not, not because of things he does. It's because of the connection with his Father. So, as we look at this diagram, what happens is um, we have this tension because uh, the Bible everywhere talks about us doing good things. Right? You know, to live, live according to uh, what we say we believe. And we're commanded to care for orphans. We're commanded to do good things. Here's the other reality is you do not have to be a Christ follower to do good things, to do good works. Okay? There's, there's people, a, a lot of people in the world that do way more good things than me. I'll tell you that for sure. Right? The, the problem is, is we get confused that we think that somehow by doing good things, it will fix what's going on in the center of our lives. See, Jesus' word to the Pharisees was, no, first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will reflect that. So what that means for all of us is that we can look good on the outside. We can look good with how we live our lives, but that does not mean that good resides, that we're walking in the light as Christ is in the light. And we can fall to the error that somehow, you know, if I'm doing good things, that's going to make something right on the inside. Am I making sense? Okay. So, we are called to do good. All people do good things. Doing good things does not make you good. And it doesn't make me good either. Only the Father in Heaven is good. And goodness comes into to my life as I am connected to the person of Jesus Christ. Really quickly... I got to turn back to First John here. So that's part of what uh, John is reflecting on now when he starts in verse eight that we read earlier. Still not in the right place. It says, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." And in verse ten, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. And so there's levels of deception. I'm I don't have a problem with sin. Or, uh, you know, even hard-heartedness. Look, sin is for bad people. I don't, I don't have that. You know, I, I don't like the pressure in my own life and in, and in Christian circles like that, uh, you know, that, that if you admit to sin, oh my goodness, you're obviously a lower-rung Christian. You know what I'm saying? Because we know that Good Christians don't sin. That's kind of an emotional response I feel sometimes, and I wonder if you feel it too. In contrast to that, in verse 9, 
says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That, that, that phrase there, if we confess, the, the Greek word form has this idea, if we continually confess, or um, if we are confessors of our sin, see, that's how we live in the light. We continue to bring those things to the Lord. If we become confessors of sin, then, then Jesus is faithful and just, meaning we can count on it every single time. And He's just in doing it because He already paid the penalty for that sin. And here's the beautiful part at the end there, is that as we bring those things, then He purifies all that in our life. All that brokenness that you see in those circles there. He, he cleanses all of that so that we can walk in the light. As he is in the light. This is the only way to walk with Jesus. Is for us to be confessors. My hope and my prayer is that it doesn't feel heavy. Like, oh no. You see? That's part of that old, I'm not performing good enough. And in fact, see where I'm at in my... Oh, one of the struggles that I have is I see, and you see this too in Scripture, is that there's these Scriptures that have this idea of uh, that salvation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make every effort to grow in Christ. I mean, it's like, work! You know, do it! You know, so you got that. On the one hand, it's like, look, you need to trust Christ. You know, you, you know, I, it, they're like worlds apart. This, when am I relying on myself and, and when am I relying on the grace of God? Because I know that relying on the grace of God doesn't mean I just lie down. Right? And so in reality, even though they're far apart, my experience is that it's fuzzy. But here are some things that I think I could back up with Scripture, but I'm not going to take time. That's another picture there. Uh, that's, that's you trying to perform in your own strength there. Alright. Here's, here's some of the signals that Scripture gives us, I believe, on most of these at least, that help clue me in. Okay, I'm not relying on the grace of God anymore. I'm relying on my own strength. Pride is the obvious, obvious one. Now, there's good things to be proud about. You know what I mean? I mean, there's things to be excited about. Wow, you know, I, I lost 10 pounds or whatever. Obviously, I didn't. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, but but it's that kind of pride that's a deep, that this deep. Wow, look what I did. Pat on the back. I hope people notice. You know, and when I do things in my own strength, it inevitably leads to pride because I think I did it, right? It's not the grace of God. And the obvious contrast to that is humility. Now, when I'm doing things in my own strength, I'm tired. I wear it out because whatever level you are at, man, there's there's more that you could do and should be doing, right? Versus if I'm learning to rely on the grace of God and I learn to be a confessor of my sin, how liberating, how freeing. I don't have to carry that anymore. I thought about bringing a, a backpack full of bricks and, and getting like a junior higher up here and say, hey, how's that feel? And then ask him, you want me to take some of those out, right? Hey, we need to let... God, take some bricks out. Now, here's, here's another uh, example where I know I'm not 
living in grace because, uh, you know, I won't be forgiving of others. If I haven't experienced forgiveness, man, I'm having to earn it. You think I'm just going to give it away? And in fact, in other places in Scripture, this is a test that we understand that we've been forgiven. See, there's a sense in which when, when we trust Christ, all our sins are forgiven. But practically speaking, to live face to face with Jesus Christ, we've got to learn to be confessors. We've got to learn to be people who, God, I, I don't know where that thought came from. Take it captive. It's not in line with your truth. So, but if I'm having to earn my forgiveness, boy, you're, you're sure going to have to. I tell you that right now. No mercy and grace. All right. So, comparison with others. I know none of us do this here. You know, there's real subtle ways that we can walk in darkness. Maybe we don't do the big ones, right? The, um, you know, adultery, murder, whatever. But what about greed, selfishness, gossip? You know, it's very easy to start doing that disconnect between what I say I believe and how I live. And one of the ways I can do it is compare. It's like, wow, I'm not near as bad as my dad was. You should have seen my dad, you know, at this, that, or the other thing. Or, um, I don't know, justify would be another one. But I hopefully you're, you're catching it. If, if, uh, if I'm not comparing myself but rather than comparing myself to the light of Jesus Christ, and I see the mercy and the grace that He pours into my life, well, then, then I can have compassion for other people. Uh, this is a big one. Goodness through effort. We avoid God's holiness. Now, I've experienced this. I feel like I have sin, you know, something I'm... I'm minimizing or I'm justifying or whatever. And the net result is I don't really want to expose myself to the face-to-face following of Jesus Christ. It impacts my relationship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with others. The life that I really want gets interrupted. But when I know that when I come into the light of Jesus Christ and I confess my sin, ah, what a beautiful place to be. I'm drawn to continue to go back there. I find freedom. Oh, I, I put that one in there for the fun of it, the last one. hate this message. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're one of these that's been like, well, you know, I've got I to gotta measure up. I can't, you know. And, and, you know, what's funny about that is you can be one of those people and you can, like, have your life all together. Or your life can be a mess. You know what I'm saying? Your life can be a mess. But you're still thinking, well, if I do a little bit better, right? God doesn't grade on a curve. You don't have to get 99%. It's 100%. And Jesus did that for us. All right, practicing confession. I mentioned real quickly that the, the verb form is there is, uh, is it's the idea that we're continually confessing. And that's why confession is oftentimes, or maybe always, considered one of the uh, spiritual disciplines. It's one of the practices that we can get into, not to earn God's favor, but rather to put us in a place where we can receive from God. Put us in a place where we're open to what His Spirit wants to do in us. And uh, practicing confession. So we become confessors of sin. And I'm taking this from John Ortberg's book, uh, which is listed down there. Um, I, I paraphrased a little bit my own words. But first is to ask God's Spirit to guide us. You know, we have an accuser. 
The, the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And our own conscience can, can condemn us. I, you know, I'm happy if I can just focus on the ones that God is pointing out to me, right? I mean, the sin goes deep in my life. It goes deep in all of our lives. The patterns. God has forgiven all of that. But what I need to deal with is what the Holy Spirit is. This is the one that's keeping you from me right now, Tyler. So I ask God to guide me. John, in, in this book, he, he, he tells the story of, a, of an engineer that IBM asked to come in and help him figure out a problem with a, a machine they were having. So he came in and he, for a few minutes and he made a mark on the machine with a piece of chalk. And he said, your problem's right there. You need to fix that. And left. And later they got a bill for $10,000. And they're like, whoa. You know, that's a, and so they asked him to itemize it. And uh, so they got a, a, a sheet back that said, uh, chalk mark, $1, knowing where to put it, $9,999, you, know, $9, you see? See, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us to know where to put the mark, where we need to be confessing. Engage in honest self-evaluation. Uh, think think um, specifics. Yeah, I guess I could be a little more honest. No, I lied to my wife when I said this. Um, don't be afraid. Remember, Jesus it's in Jesus' nature to forgive. Jesus wants us to come to Him so that we can drop this stuff off, so that we can have that face-to-face relationship. He's not like the one, what, another one? Look, you've got way more than you know or that I know, right? I have way more. What he is concerned with is that we are having that face-to-face relationship. So we engage in honest evaluation. We say the truth of what it is. And allow God to show us the depth of our sin. You know, it's not, again, just what we did. It's not just that you lied. Here's a couple questions that might help guide. Why did I do that? Why did I lie to my boss? Why did I gossip about the person at work? You know, and you do that kind of stuff and you realize, wow, I just wanted, I wanted myself to look good. I'm, I'm relying on myself for my value rather than on God. So asking those questions, why did I do it? And the second question, what are the results, consequences? Who am I hurting? What is this going to do to my relationship with God if I continue? What is this going to do in my relationship with others if I continue? Practicing confession. We're going to come to the communion table. In this passage that we just dealt with, there is no mention of God's mercy or His grace, and yet it's dripping with that. You see that? It's dripping. I want to mention one other area that will help us think about whether or not we come to God on the basis of our performance rather than on His grace and His mercy. Real quickly, the prodigal son story. If you don't know it, a younger son, there's two sons. The younger one says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now because I want to have a good time. I really don't care about you. So his dad said, okay. He gives him his, you know. And he runs off. He spends his money on wild living. He ends up in the ditch. He's eating, uh, he's starving to death and feeding pigs food that he's not allowed to eat as a Jewish person. And he comes to his senses. He says, you know what? That was really stupid. I'm going to go back to my dad 
And I'm going to beg for mercy. I'm going to say, look, I'm not worthy to be your, called your son. Just make me a slave. I'm going to go back and I'm going to beg for mercy. And so he goes back. His father sees him coming and runs out to meet him. And the son begins his speech. Look, uh, you know, I don't... And his dad... You know what his dad says to his speech? Nothing. Zip. He says, look, my son. Here, put on the sandals. These, these the sandals. Here's the, here's the royal robe. Put this on. Here's, here's, a, you know, here's my ring. I want you to... You're my son. You see? When we come to the communion table, a performer kind of person says, Oh, God. I need to do better. See, I confess I didn't try hard enough. I mean, trying harder is not going to take care of your sin. The death of Jesus Christ, our advocate, the righteous one, is the only way. And so we come and you say, look, I've got nothing to offer. And now we receive from God, you're my son and my daughter. I want you to live in face-to-face relationship with me. John, in the third chapter of this book, is where he says, what love God has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. You see? So we come to the table and we confess our sin, but we confess God's grace for us. We step into that, that place of, I'm a child of God who's called to live face-to-face with my Savior, my Lord. God, help me. Here's the place where I choose to sin. Help me. I confess it as sin. There's nothing I can do apart from your transforming power. I'm going to invite the communion service to come forward and and the uh, youth band. And uh, we're doing communion a little different than we typically do it. Um, We we normally gather in groups. Today we're just going to hand it out individually and I invite you to bring it back to your chair. So when you come up, they'll offer you a a, a cracker, the body of Christ. They'll offer you the cup. You just dip it and then um, if you'll bring it back to your seat and when we've all got our elements, we'll take it together. Okay? Um, Let's pray real quick. Um, Lord Jesus, as we come and receive communion today, we do so as confessors. Confessor, that we need your grace. We need your mercy. And God, as we receive, we receive as your, your sons and daughters. As an expression of our, as our, uh, of our desire to live face to face with you and with one another. God, transform us, we pray in Jesus' name.